May I speak in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You are witnesses of these things. Friends, sometimes being a witness can be a bit of a hassle. Just before Katie and I moved from Pittsburgh, our car, which was parked out front of our apartment, was hit early one morning. It suffered a hit and run. We heard the smashing and crunching sound from our bedroom. It sounded like a big, huge refrigerator or something had been pushed off a balcony. A Jeep had hit our car from behind and caused a three-car pileup. There was only one witness at the scene of the crime, our neighbor across the street. First, I should say, I was tempted to, when I, I, I saw the car peeling down the road and turned down a side street, and I was tempted to chase after it, but then I looked down and realized I was in my moccasins. So I turned to the witness. Did you notice the driver? Was it a him or her? Did they seem young, possibly under the influence of anything? Did you see what street they turned down? Did you catch the license plate? This fella had just woken up and been out on his porch drinking an early cup of coffee. He was still waking up when the crunch happened. It was clear he was a little overwhelmed at being the only witness. And his day didn't get any easier. The police arrived and started their inquiry. Sometimes I'm asked what my favorite part of our rectory is, and a little bit tongue-in-cheek I say, being able to park in the driveway. To be a witness can be a hassle. The disciples knew this. In some ways, the disciples didn't ask for any of this to happen. It was just another Saturday. They, too, were just having, having a cup of coffee together, maybe sharing muffins, exchanging stories. Well, that's not quite right. We know they were terrified. They were huddled, caught in this kind of jarring uncertainty by the previous day's events. You'll know that our gospel story for this morning falls right on the heels of the story of Christ joining two followers on the road to Emmaus. Remember those two disciples. We know one of them was named Cleopas. We don't know the other's name. But they're leaving town. They're leaving the scene of Jesus' death, leaving Jerusalem for the town of Emmaus. heads hung heavy, befuddled, and sad. And they're joined on the road by a mysterious stranger, the one who turns out to be the risen Savior. In his company, over the breaking of bread, they go from being the bereaved, the heartbroken, to witnesses. Cleopas and the other disciple then run back to the others in Jerusalem and announce the news We've met the risen Savior. He's alive. Those bereaved are turned into witnesses. There's a fear that my generation um, has dubbed FOMO. 
the fear of missing out. To be a millennial, even a Gen Zer, is to be well acquainted with the fear that we will be left on the outside of something awesome, vital, and fun. We scroll on Facebook and Twitter. We look at the pictures of what everyone else is doing, and while we often hit the like button, there's the uneasy feeling that somehow we are missing out on capital L, life. Life is happening over there with them. We're beset by FOMO. The late Carrie Fisher once said that two of the saddest words in the English language were, what party? I wonder, however, if there's a deeper fear, a deeper fear at work and the disciples. I wonder if they wouldn't have minded having missed out on the news of Jesus's resurrection. I think they would have liked to have been able to drink their morning coffee in peace. Maybe they didn't have a fear of missing out. Maybe they had a fear of being included, a fear of being made witnesses. The holy intruder breaks into their midst and their day, their lives are knocked sideways by, ironically, an offer of his peace. The text says after the initial encounter, while in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wandering. What an amazing phrase. What a tempest of emotion that overcame them. Joy, disbelief, and wonder. And then there is the invitation from the one they mistook as a ghost. Look at my hands. Notice my feet. It's me. Don't doubt, but believe. Now, we moderns often avoid being witnesses by stopping at this point and asking questions about the legitimacy of this experience. Did Jesus really rise bodily from the dead? A body with wounds, a body that was hungry, a body that we could touch. A lot of us think that the hard question is around if it really happened or not. Might be a hard question. The harder question, do we want it to have happened? Let's be honest, some days, not really. We only thought it was the fear of missing out that bothered us. I wonder if it's rather the fear of being drawn into something bigger than ourselves. It's not being left on the bench of history that we fear. It's being drawn into becoming witnesses. It's a legitimate fear. Just to add insult to injury, let me remind you that the New Testament word for witness is martyrion. Our word, martyr. To be a witness is to be a martyr. To be a witness is to die. Well, apparently we don't have much of a choice. We who've made it here this Sunday have already heard the crunch of heaven meeting earth in Christ. We've encountered the story. The risen Christ has announced himself in our midst. He breathes forth his peace. He offers the intimacy of touch 
And he gives us that sacred gift of the forgiveness of sins. And then he says, you will now go forth and your life will be cross-examined by the counterforces of greed, divisiveness, and fear. Congratulations, you're martyrs now. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? You must tell of what you've seen and heard. I remember watching as our car, our total, our totaled car was hauled off. Our Subaru Impreza looked like a crankled sheet of aluminum foil on the bed of the tow truck. But Katie and I, as we, as we stood there, just after we said our last goodbyes to our beloved car, we noticed that we could still make out the little church's decal on the back left bumper. St. Paul's Episcopal Church. God loves you, no exceptions. I didn't like that I could still make out those words. It felt like an insult to my morning. God's love for certain people is real, but not for those idiots who smashed up our car. God's love for them is not real. My wrath for them is real, though. Lord, don't you even start to make me a witness for that love right now. Won't you just stay out of it for once? Now, of course, to be a witness isn't to say that we can't be angry, that we're called to be a doormat for the kingdom of God. You aren't called to be a doormat. It's worse than that. You're called to die. You are not doubting Thomas any longer. You're not denying Peter any longer. You're not impetuous Garrett any longer or codependent Karen or alcoholic Bob any longer. You are not the sin that feels so close to your heart any longer, but neither are you your virtues either. You must die to all of that. You must die to who you've taken yourself to be. You are martyrs. And here's the mystery. Your life starts making sense when you learn what it is that's worth dying for. I'm not talking about physical death, though it sometimes might involve that. I'm reminded that on this day, 53 years ago, the great Dorothy Day penned a tribute to Martin Luther King Jr. in the Catholic Worker newspaper. King had been shot and killed 10 days prior on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel in Memphis. Day begins her tribute sorting through her own feelings about the fateful day, fumbling with language, only then to remember the verse from John's gospel, unless the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. And then she says, Martin Luther King died daily. He didn't just die on April 8th, 1968. He died daily. 
and therein came to life daily, too. I still believe, King wrote, that standing up for the truth of God is the greatest thing in the world. This is the end of life. The end of life is not to be happy. The end of life is not to achieve pleasure and avoid pain. The end of life is to do the will of God, come what may. He may have added, this is the beginning of life, too. Our lives really only gain value when we can get really clear in our souls about what it is, the one or two things, worth giving our lives to. To what are we being called to witness? It might be caring for our husband as he enters his final chapter. It might be giving ourselves body, mind, and soul to beat back the curtain of this country's racism. It might mean quitting our jobs to finally give heed to our vocation. It might mean that we need to sell our homes and give away our possessions and move and buy a place in the city. It might be standing up for what's right no matter the cost. I don't know, but it's between each of us and the risen Savior to discern the shape of our witness. And we should say that it's an ambivalent thing to be approached by this one. The bad news, we have to die daily to comfort and fear and control and each morning choose to ascend the witness stand to testify on behalf of truth and beauty and goodness. The good news, in our love and commitment, and yes, our death, we are never alone, but are surrounded on every side by those joy-filled, love-soaked, large-souled saints. The great cloud of witnesses who found in Jesus the way to capital L, life. Friends, we are witnesses of these things. Amen.